Rugby League Back Chat is sponsored by TotalRL.com. Hello and welcome to the latest edition of Rugby League Back Chat. We know the four semi-finalists from the Challenge Cup and to discuss that and a lot more, we have three very special guests. Starting with the editor of League Express, Martin Sadler, Matt Diskin, the head coach of the Batley Bulldogs and Feverston Rovers head coach, Ryan Carr. And don't forget, you can get involved in the conversation too on Twitter at RL Back Chat. So, gents, we know the four semi-finalists. We've got Hull FC, we've got Warrington, we've got St. Helens. And we've got Halifax. I don't think it's the sort of lineup we were thoroughly expecting at the start of the year, Martin. But all in all, a good round, a good week of rugby league. Well, we've got two championship coaches here, you know, and it's great to see a championship side in the semi-final. The first time since 2006, I believe, when Hulkingston Rovers got there. Um, and unfortunately, in that game, I think they, you know, lost by 50 points. But, you know, in Halifax versus St. Helens. You do sort of think, my goodness, you know, that's that's going to be a tough one. That's going to be a really, a really tough one, isn't it, for for for, for Halifax? But um, all they can do, I think, is just go and, and play to the best of their ability, throw the ball around, enjoy themselves, and hopefully uh, put on a good show. You know, one or two people were saying, well, you know, over the weekend, Anthony Joshua lost to um, Andy Ruiz Jr. In, in the World Heavyweight Championship. That was a, a massive shock. We'd need a shock a bit like that. But it's really a bit different, isn't it? Because in boxing, there can be shocks like that because you can just land, a, land the right punch at the right time. In an 80-minute rugby league match, you don't get that sort of shock, I'm afraid. I don't know whether the two guys here think that Halifax have got any chance of pulling off a shock against Saints, but... You know, I'd be amazed if, if, if they did. What do you think, Matt? Have they got any chance, Halifax, against St. Helens? No. <laughs> I, do, I don't think they have. I think they've, they've done exceptionally well to get to, the, to this stage. And it's great for the Championship. If you're involved in the Championship week to week, it's a great competition that doesn't get the exposure it deserves. Yeah. And to have a, have a team there, it, it shows that this competition's actually got some strength to it. And, but I think the semi-final, particularly against St. Helens, who's the form team in the country at the moment, it's going to be a step too far for them. Ryan, we saw St. Helens on Saturday. They just blitzed Wakefield. How impressed were you with Justin Holbrook's side? Yeah, they've, they've had a great start to the year. They just play so physical and fast and everything they do is so clinical. And then on the back of that, the skill that, that guys like Lachlan Coote and that just bring to the team is they're a hard team to beat. I, you know, I watch them play nearly every week because I enjoy watching them. But it's, uh, it's a, hard, a hard team to crack. I don't think there's many faults in what they do. And... Mm -hmm. Um, like Matt said, I think it's a huge achievement for Halifax to, to get there and for Bradford to get to where they did too. So it was a credit to, to both those clubs. But um, ultimately, it's going to be a tough ask to go over there and play Saints. But you never know in rugby league, stranger things have happened. So. <laughs> Not many well, stranger. Yeah. Well, I, the, the thing is, though, I mean, people have, have naturally said that having a, sem a championship team in the semi final is good for the championship. Is it good for the Challenge Cup that there is a part time team in the final four? Well, I think it's good for the Challenge Cup that, you know, clubs like Halifax can get all the way to the semi-final. We, we need a bit more variety, don't we? Because, you know, the, 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 the trouble with the Cup recently is that it's been tended to be the same teams getting to the semi-finals and, and the finals over time. You know, you've, you've had Warrington. I think Warrington have been in something like eight or nine out of the last ten semi-finals. Mm -hmm. They're always getting there. Um, St. Helens, oddly enough, St. Helens haven't been to Wembley since 2008 when they beat Hull FC that year. And, you know, I, I think it was James Roby who said, you know, if somebody had said to him, I mean, he, he's the only Saints player still there who played in that 2008 Challenge Cup, Challenge Cup win. 
And I think he made the point that if somebody had said to him at the time, you won't be back at Wembley till probably 2019, another 11 years, he wouldn't have believed him, you know, because, of course, Saints were the dominant team yeah. back then, or one of the dominant teams back then. So it's always good to get a bit of variety. And I think, I think assuming that Saints do get through to Wembley this year, I'm sure they'll take a lot of fans down there this, uh, this year. And, you know, it, it looks to me like a Saints-Warrington final. And that, that will be a hell of a game at Wembley. Don't know what you think, Ryan. Yeah, two, two great teams. They're both, both in form. Uh, Hull, Hull FC, let's, let's not take anything away from them. They've no, had no. some really good performances as well. So, and they can beat anyone on their day. They've sort of been a bit mixed in their form. Um, uh, a yeah, bit, from a week bit. To week. Yeah. <laughs> Understanding of the century. <laughs> yeah, so, but look, if they have a good day, what's to say they can't beat Warrington? But yeah, if you, if you go on form, it'd, it'd stack up to be probably a Warrington uh, Saints final, which would, which would make for a really quality contest out there at Wembley. Let's talk about Hull FC. I mean, Matt, I know that you tear the very little hair that you have left out about your side's inconsistency. I think Lee Radford has it a lot worse for you in that regard, doesn't he? Come yeah, with the hair as well. <laughs> to be fair, I've actually got a really good head of hair when I decide to go it, but I don't for them reasons alone. Um, now I've spent a bit of time with Lee over the last couple of years as my role as head coach. He's been really welcome. I've gone visited a few times. What he's doing there is exceptionally good, but the level of inconsistency his side's got is, is frustrating as a coach. Mm -hmm. And sometimes as a coach, you, you can do all, you know, technically, structurally, all your systems, you can train exceptionally well. But as soon as your job's done on that last training session, you're handing it over to the players and that's where the variables come in, where you've got no real control. And I think Lee's comments at the weekend, you know, he, he talked about how inconsistent his team, man. It is rocks or diamonds. I actually fancy him in the semi-final, mainly because he, look over the last five years, they've appeared at Wembley a few times, they know what, the competition's about, they know what it means to get there. I think I think they'll come up with a big game when it's needed. And Mark Sneed is a big game player, isn't he? In that side. I mean he won the Landstop trophy twice in sixteen and, and, and seventeen. You know, and, and if 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 you've got a player who can pull off a victory in a tight game, he showed that when they played at Catalans a few weeks ago when, you know, that, that incredible golden point game where he, he won the game for Hull with an in, incredible kicking game, I thought. So you know you can't you certainly can't write all off. But I, I just wonder what 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 makes a team sort of go from one extreme to the other, Matt. I mean, you you two guys are, are coaches. You know, is, is is there a sort of mental weakness there? Some, you know, in the, in the team. What 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 what? Or do they just give in when they're behind? Or, I think or I mean, it is a little bit of the problems between the years. But if we actually knew the answer, I'd bottle it up and I'd make a small fortune. Because <laughs> as a coach, it's the most frustrating aspect. You know, you can have the best training week possible, and then the rock up on a. A Sunday and they don't look any resemblance to what, what it's at. So you know, you've got to look at the players individually, what the preparation is like away from the game, before the game, leading up to it, and try to look at the smaller details of things. But it's it's easier said than done. You know, mm. you talk about Max Need when he's on fire, he's brilliant and so influential because his kicking game helps control field position and gets, mm. you know, repeat sets and everything else. So when he's on fire, they're on fire. But it's not just him, the whole team. If you're losing by 50 points or you're winning by 50 points and such big variables, for me, rest between the years, it's definitely mental. Mm. Mm. What about you, for you, Ryan? Because, <coughs> it, correct me if I'm wrong, but as a part-time player, you can I can almost understand the inconsistency because the lifestyle's maybe not as structured and they've got work and other things. But as a full-time athlete, that surely shouldn't be as big a problem, should it? Yeah, full-time rugby league players, they get given pretty much everything they need in today's day and age, a lot more than what past players have. So I wouldn't say there's any excuse, like, like that commented to it's. They'd be, they'd be preparing well, they'd be doing everything the same that they did when they win by 50 than when they lose by 50. Mm -hmm. So if you, if you, knew, the, if you knew the reason, you know, they, 
you probably would, wouldn't be being coached, you know what I mean? It's, <laughs> it's, it's the hardest thing to, to pick why, why things are happening. And um, it's not their ability physically or anything like that. It may be mental lapses, but um, it's clear to see they're a momentum team. I think you can see when they've got momentum, they play really well to that momentum and they can mm. they can they can uh, harness it and keep confidence. going with them. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, and it's sort of some some teams on, on the flip side when they haven't got that momentum, you know, might not know how to get out of that. And mm. um, and that comes with sort of leadership and older players on the team who you turn to and someone like a St. Helens have got yeah. about four or five that they can go, okay, what do we need to do with this scenario here? How are we going to stop this flow of momentum coming against us and how are we going to turn it around? So, yeah. yeah it's a, but there are some teams that don't seem to suffer from from that sort of syndrome of losing heavily. I mean, Wigan under Sean Wayne, you know, for example, when he was there, you, you, you knew that they would probably hardly ever get beaten by a, a cricket score. And if they did get beaten, it would normally, you know, and they'd always come back late at the end as well. You know, you could never... You know, they were like a rabid dog. Really, you could, you could, you could never, never, you know, get it away. And you know, Wigan were very much like that. They seemed to have that mentality, didn't they? That was, you know, tran transmitted from Sean's own personality. You know, never, never give up sort of attitude. And um, you know, and 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 I, I just wonder whether that sort of, you know, a, co a, a coach can, you know, instill that into in, in into a team. I think they. The Sean Wayne and the Wigan thing is a cultural thing there as well. They've got a very attritious environment yeah. in the sense that day-to-day -day it's very tough, very uncompromising, and that's how they play the game. As a player, that can become very tiring and very <laughs> yeah. unforgiving on your body as you go forward. But as a team at that time, they've done exceptionally well. You know, they chase everything back. So the things that fans look at about the big players, they're very good on the stuff off the ball, you know, chasing back and working hard and pushing in the inside to cover your mate's error. They were very good at those small things because obviously they put a lot of detail into that away from the game. I think I think so. Also to that, the Wigan era is defensively they were extremely strong. So you're always going to give yourself a chance to be in any game if you're not conceding as many points. And then I think what you would have found is teams that only lose by a small margin often to not it's it's a low scoring game or a relative game. Whereas um, the scores we're seeing, I don't think Hull have any uh, as an example. They're scoring points. You know, will in, in a lot of their games it's probably. A defensive thing that gives yourself the best chance to, to be in a game and, and be competitive at the end, no matter how good you play, is probably your defence. Um, that's one thing you can't waver. We talk about good defences. Warrington, I mean, they were down to 11 men, they were on their own line, and they just never gave gave Hull KR a sniff, did they? Matt, that was a, an unbelievable first. They wore out in the end and nearly got paid back, but Steve Price's men were unbelievable defensively. Yeah, obviously, when you have that little bit of adversity, it brings a group tight together and they work a lot harder for each other off the ball. So they've got the the systems and structures which obviously buying into, but sometimes you can throw that out of the window. It's just about your attitude to work hard for each other, and you showed that in in powerful amounts at the weekend. Mm -hmm. They were exceptional, work, working hard and pushing for each other off the ball was was unreal. Is there a better player at the minute than Blake Austin, Ryan? Uh, he's 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 a very good player, Austin. He's um, I knew I knew he'd go really well over here. Just the, the style of footy would suit him. He's uh, you know he's off the cuff and he's unpredictable and. Um, a lot of the things that he brings to the game is exciting, and I know the fans love watching him. And um, when he's when he's hot, he's, he's as good as any player that I've ever seen play. He's got great balance, hasn't he? When he's when he's running, he, he can sort of, you know, change direction, but keep running at the same speed. It seems, you know, he he, he, he can run through a defence and slice it really really smartly, um, which is a quality not that many players have. You know, it, it it's quite interesting. A lot of a lot, you know. The art of sort of sidestepping and so on is is really important in, in in our sport, and he just seems to have it, 
in spades. Yeah, it's, it's funny. You can do a lot of prep on him and say, yeah, he's got his left foot, he's got his left yeah. foot, and you'll be yeah, talking yeah. it up a week, and he'll still do left foot and get you with it. It's, Absolutely. He's got an uncanny knack to just be so deceptive with what he's doing and how he carries the ball and the way he moves his body and the balance that he works with and the change of speed as well. He goes from slow to fast and fast yeah. to slow and different things mm. like that. But, mm. yeah, you'll preview him all week. I bet you every coach does it and say <laughs> he's going to get a left foot step, he'll throw a dummy, yeah. they'll still get done with it. Yeah, and, there's, yeah. and there's so yeah. many players in the Super League era that have been like that. The one that I always think of, Matt, is, is Kieran Cunningham. You knew he was going to try and barge over from two yards out and even still you just couldn't stop him, could you? That, that is the mark of a good player, isn't it? No, well, fantastic, but... You can remember the size of him as well. Like a prop forward playing at nine, he was yeah. he was huge and quick and agile. So, yeah, you can talk him up and like saying there with the side steps. You can as going back to playing, you can prep on a player all week. You know the side steps coming. You can see it coming. But if it's executed that well, you can't. You sometimes just hold your hands up and say yeah. fair play. Yeah. <laughs> but, so Warrington looked like the nearest team to challenging St. Helens for the honours this year. But Martin is, can they do it? Is there anyone who can stop St. Helens this year? Well, let's remember that last year, Saints bombed out in the Challenge Cup semi-final. Mm -hmm. I don't think they're going to do that this year. And they also bombed out in the playoff semi-final to Warrington. <clears throat> I, you know, the fact is, in the Challenge Cup this year, they're obviously going to get to the Challenge Cup. They're going to get to Wembley. Mm -hmm. I think we all agree it would be 100 to 1 against Halifax, unfortunately for them. I think that is the um, odds, actually, of them winning the Challenge yeah, Cup still. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, and, and what you've got to bear in mind is that the playoff system this year has been changed so that it gives a massive advantage to the team that finishes first. Mm. They only have to win one match to get to Old Trafford, whereas last year it was the top four and, you know, it was a, one, it was a life, mm. you know, um, a do-or-die game against Warrington. So... It's a lot easier for Saints this year. Uh, they've got a more favourable draw in the cup, and they've got a a great chance in you know. So I I I think that I'd, I'd stick my neck out and say they will do the double mm -hmm. this year. But I think the only team that can actually challenge them is Warrington. Uh, and if it's Saints and Warrington in both major finals this year, mm -hmm. that, those are going to be incredible games. I've got to say. And just and just quickly to touch on on the Halifax Bradford game, guys, did that basically showcase what the, the championship's all about that game? I thought so. I don't think it was a spectacularly free-flowing game, but it showed a lot of character from both teams. I think the scoreline ebbed and flowed, flowed from both, and that makes it exciting. Yeah. People watching on the TV and the games, and I think it was a great advertisement for the quality the championship can offer. Mm -hmm. It's fair, Ryan? Yeah, yeah, I agree with, with Matt there. It's a yeah, great turnout and big crowds. It's, mm -hmm. it's what, there's been good crowds in the championship this year, you know, it's good turnouts, and um, hopefully we can keep building on that because it is a good competition, and um, it needs, needs the credit it deserves. Just quickly, Martin, for a, effectively a championship game to be shown on the BBC, I think it got to around 750,000 people. Talk about building the profile of the league. That's a good, good way to do it, isn't it? The really key thing is that the championship, we've got to sell the championship in a future TV contract. And when you get a game like that on television between two championship sides, you show the quality that there is in that competition. If we can't sell the competition, I don't know what we're doing because, mm -hmm. you know, it's, a, it's, it's tremendous. There are lots of TV companies, lots of broadcasters now looking for content. And if, you know, there it is, there it is. Let's, let's, let's go out and sell it and, 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 and keep talking the game up. Absolutely. Well, that's the first part of this week's show lined up. Coming up after the break, we'll be talking about Callum Watkins' exit from the Leeds Rhinos. We'll be back in a few minutes.
Welcome back to this week's Rugby League Back Chat. Gents, we're going to move the conversation on to Leeds because, yet again, they're in the headlines because Callum Watkins, who is the club captain, is leaving despite the fact he still has two years of his contract left. The club has agreed mutually with Callum that he'll leave at the end of the year. It caught everyone out by surprise. Matt, you probably know Callum better than any of us do. Was that a shock to you? It was a shock. I think Callum's been getting some unfair criticism over the last... Well, for the majority of the year, obviously, he's not hitting the form since his ACL reconstruction, but it takes a long time to recover from such a big injury, knowing from personal experience. And Callum's got some great quality. Don't play at the level he's played at. Be caught by the teams he gets caught by to not have some quality about you. He's a good bloke, plays some fantastic rugby, and he's been one of the best centres in the UK for, for how many years now? And for him to be released early, there's obviously a little bit more to it from what's, what's been revealed. Um, but I hope he gets the praise he deserves for his mm. services given to Leeds and to the game here and rather than some of the unwarranted criticism he's getting at the moment. Right, and he, like Matt alluded to, he's come back from a massive injury. He's not at the form that we know he's capable of, but has he has he been given an unfair rap this year so far? Uh, yeah, it's, look, it's been a tough year for Leeds, obviously. You know, they've gone through a lot, um, a lot of change uh, um, and to put it down to one player is, is completely um, unreasonable. Um, like, like Matt said, what's going on, there's obviously things that go on in rugby league clubs that no one's ever going to really know and um, all your hope is that um, it's the best thing for, for not only the club but for, for him personally and um, yeah, he's had a fantastic career and I'm sure he's got a lot of, of good days ahead of him, that's for mm -hmm. sure. It's just well, coming back from a serious injury is so hard to do and it takes time and um, getting your, your balance and your movement and everything back is and your confidence back mm -hmm. around your own body is... Mm -hmm something that's, that's it's hard coming back from a major injury so yeah you just hope that it's it's going to work out for him personally and um, hopefully whatever his next move is is going to be a good one for him. I just wonder whether you two guys both think it's wise to have had him as the captain this year because when you're coming back from an injury like that it's a bit of a personal crisis isn't it you you're not sure how it's going to go and you've got to play yourself back in you know this this year when I've watched Callum he, he's just not looked you know, his body language hasn't looked great. He, he's not looked really happy uh, within himself on the field. He's obviously been struggling to get back to, 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 to what he was. And, you know, that if, certainly if I, were, if I were him, I don't think I'd really want to be the captain in those circumstances. But I just wonder what, what, what you know, you're, you guys, guys have more expertise on, on this than I have. I wonder um, what you think about that. Callum, obviously, is going to be frustrated. His body language is going to be great because he's... He's used to playing at a level much higher than where he's at at the moment, and that's due to injury, due to where he's at physically. The captaincy, I don't see who else they could have given it to. You know, he looked at Leeds 10 years ago, and you could have named, you know, if took seven or eight of those players, put him into another Super League team, they'd have been a captain of that Super League mm. team. They were full of leaders. Looking at Leeds at the moment, I'm struggling to name one that really stands out as an out-and-out -out leader in that group. So, Callum might have been the best of a bad bunch. Doesn't that, though, just condemn the recruitment at Leeds? It the does. development of players. Yes. You know, he could spend three hours discussing that. And I think, <laughs> you know, Kevin's getting a lot of stick at the moment. Some of it justifiably is in that role, but it's not solely his fault. There's been five, six years of recruitment behind him. So there's people accountable at the club for where they're at now. And I think they're aware of it. I think they're trying to address it, but it's not going to be a short-term fix. It's going to take three to five years to get them anywhere back to where they need to be. Were you a be. bit surprised when Kevin made those comments about there being something rotten at the club and it, it had been allowed to... No, not around. at all. Not mm. at all, I think... Having come out of the club and worked with other clubs, particularly at the younger day groups, academies and stuff, I think the clubs, with the success it's had, it's, it's led to a certain element of arrogance about it. Um, 
from the small, you know, when, when I first joined that club, they were, they were brilliant. You know, they, re, they built themselves on good values, good morals, and I think that slowly disappeared out of the club. So when Kevin refers to it being rotten, I think he's referring to a club no longer sticking to what its true values are. So who's, who's at fault for that? Is that the players and their own standards there set, or is it the co uh, coaching level or beyond that, or is it club-wide? I think Kevin, I think it's club-wide. I think it's from the top down. You know, if you're not necessarily that person's led to that, but they may not have nipped it in the bud early enough to, mm -hmm. to stop that setting in. It's a club that's got some immense history and it was built on, on good people, good values, and I think it's lost its way a little bit. Right, and you had some very serious injuries during your playing career. An ACL recon, realistically, how long is it going to take you to get back to full form, to top form? Look, everyone's different, mate, to be honest. You look even in Australia at the moment with Greg Inglis and what he's gone through and he had to retire on the back of it. Yeah. So some people bounce back really quickly and some people don't. It's, it's a very unique thing um, coming back from major surgery. So um, for me, a lot of it is confidence in players and moving from a player to a coach. You see um, the, 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 the player side of it looking from the outside in and the confidence is usually the last thing to come back. And um, Matt, you've probably gone through a lot of serious injuries yourself. You probably back me up on that and just yeah. getting confidence back in your body. Liz, so. I think I did. I ripped every ligament in my knee in 2004, ACL, PCL, MCL, everything. And it, well, I got back playing early. I played for a year and a half on painkillers, unbelievably high level of painkillers, which if I took now, they'd knock me out. So for a year, year and a half, I played on painkillers. Took me two years to get anywhere near the levels I was before. And if I were totally honest, never actually got that last sort of two, three percent to get back to where I was before, purely because of the injury, not through lack of hard work or trying. I just lost an edge about what I was doing and yeah. unfortunately big injuries like that tend to have that that effect. So on, on the recruitment side of things, Martin, like I, I'm in agreement with, with Matt to be honest. I think the recruitment's not been quite right for five, six years. What is going on with their salary cap? Because if this is purely to free up some salary cap space that you let a guy who is your captain leave the club, that's, that's a big call and probably strikes as a, a problem, doesn't it? Well, the, the, the trouble is... Um, in trying to judge it, you, you're never absolutely sure, as Matt's already said, we're never absolutely sure exactly what's going on. You know, what's been reported is that, um, you know, Callum's contract had two more years to run after this year. And it, the, the two years it, it was boosted onto uh, effectively marquee status. You know, his, his money was due to, was, was due to rise. And they called him in and said, you know, they could no longer... Um, um, fulfill that, or they didn't. They didn't want any, you know, to fulfill that element of his. That's contract. not Callum Watkins's fault, though, is it? No, and precisely, and you know, so I, I can well imagine a player, a player reacting, you know, being very disappointed um, when when told that that you know the contract that's been agreed, um, you know, leads no longer felt able, you know, to to go forward on that basis. So. Mm -hmm. I suppose it was inevitable that he'd, 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 he'd seek to, to leave. And, you know, the only question for me uh, is what what happens with him now? Where does he go now? The, you know, um, you know who, who knows where his future well, lies? Well, I mean, he must, he must have something lined up, mustn't he? Well, you'd have thought so. I mean, you think about it, you're not just going to walk away from a two-year deal without having something else lined up. It's just... I think like Mike says, no, nobody knows what's going on. But for me, the public perception of both sides is, is interesting as well. You talk about how 
from the club's point of view, you know, they're looking, they've got a player recovering from injury, not in the form he's got. They've got two years left where his value's pumping up. So it's perceived by them and the public that that's just good business in the mm. sense of, you know, they're saving money. But if that were a player doing the opposite, it'd be classed as disloyal. Yes, of course. And mercenary looking for that. So the public perception of where it's at needs to change as well. Yeah. You know, sports are short time. Players need to do the best they can. And loyalty is good for both parties, it is. But having been on the expense that loyalty is good for a certain party until they... Till you no longer fit their criteria. Have you had that experience yeah. during your? Can you can you allude onto that? <laughs> no, I had to sign a form telling me not to. <laughs> but I think I think I think Matt, you're, you're 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 you know you're not just the coach of Batley. You're a businessman as well. You've got quite a few businesses going. And when you sign a contract or an agreement, you know, in in business, do you often go back and say, you know, I don't I don't want to do this. I want to I want to amend this contract. I mean. If you did that too often, you'd soon be thought of as unreliable, not a reliable you're guy only, to do business with. My opinion is you're only as good as what your reputation is. And yeah. unfortunately, the world doesn't revolve around an handshake anymore, which it should do. And I think we're worst off for it. Yeah, yeah. You know, if you shake hands with somebody, that, that's, that's your bond. That's your, and that's how it should be. But unfortunately, the world doesn't work that way anymore. Or mm. some of it doesn't. Yeah. Um, but you're only as good as what your reputation is what's there. So from both parties, eh, to give backward, if one has and one hasn't, we don't know. But it isn't good. It isn't good and doesn't set a good precedent going forward. Ryan, there's talk that there are NRL clubs interested in Callum Watkins on his current form and, and how he's come back from the recon. Do you think that NRL clubs will still have a look at him as a, as a viable option? Uh, I think you, you find that NRL clubs are looking more and more out here in the UK now and you see... Like for example, Canberra Raiders, they've got quite a few there now and they're playing really well at a really high level and it just goes to show that both a lot of NRL players can come over here and play and I think equally a lot of um, UK Super League players can go over to Australia and, and make it make a really good goal of it over there. So yeah, there'd be no reason why not. Um, I mean, he's got, got the runs on the board, so he's, he's, he's got the, uh, the career to prove it. It's just figuring out what's best for him and what moves right for him, I suppose. Have the, the likes of... Uh, Ryan Sutton, John Bateman in the last year or so really opened the door, Martin, for more to go over. Do you think that the, the clubs are going to be more willing to, to try out players at Super League level? Well, a lot of Australian agents have been over here for the Magic Weekend, haven't they, mm -hmm. looking, at, looking at players. And um, they've certainly got their eye on quite a few of them, although I think the, the Leeds player that most of them seem to uh, f you know, have their eyes on, probably more than Callum, is, 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 is Jack Walker. He seems yeah. to be, you know, from what I... From what I hear, I think he's going to be getting quite a lot of offers, not too surprisingly uh, linked to Australia. Um, but I mean, John Bateman, I, I just think John Bateman is a totally exceptional player in every regard. I mean, he's, he, he went back at the weekend a month earlier. He was, you know, he's, he's been out with this broken cheekbone and he was supposed to have another four weeks um, recovering. But um, the story was that he, he you know, the, the, the Canberra Raiders had lost three in a row without with with him out of the side so he phoned up ricky stewart and said i'm coming it was in bradford mm. but I'm, I'm i'm coming back to canberra and i want to play this weekend and he did they beat canterbury and he scored a try and had a had a magnificent game and you know if if if, if anybody could find any more players like john bateman anywhere they would love to do it, wouldn't they? And Ryan Sutton's, I mean, Ryan Sutton's played very well for them as well, yeah. you know. And, and, and Ryan probably wasn't thought of. You know, most people in this country wouldn't have thought of Ryan as being a potential England or Great Britain player. Yeah. But he's gone out to Canberra and, and really performed extremely well. Well, 
from NRL to Super League, you guys can tell me if you're wrong, but there's more Super League clubs looking down at Championship and even League One now than seem to be ever before. Yeah, there's some quality in our competition. Um, our competition's got some rawness to it, so there's a lot of lads you can see that have got something about them, mm. put in the right environment, you know, the right systems, you can see where they maybe could flourish. The problem we've got is, you know, if you're Super League looking down is, there's no data to support what we're doing. You know, you look at Super League level, there's Opta, there's this, there's that. Mm. There's everything to look at that somebody that's going to stand out. At our level, it's all done in-house. Yep. There's nothing provided by the league or anything. So it does restrict those opportunities for, yep. for players to push up because of a lack of data that's there. But Super League actually spent some time looking at the video that's there. There's some quality in there. There's some rawness to it. There's no finished articles, but some projects that could have a punt at a little well, look I, I thought that looking, you know, looking at the Summer Bash games, which, which were all televised, it's really eye-opening, I think, to see how great some of those games are and how talented some of the players are. You know, I mean, it, it does have a... You know, there are a few refedges with championship teams. But, you know, the quality generally... I mean, you, you, you've come over here for the first time, Ryan. Uh, you know, uh, obviously you must have done a bit of research before coming, but, but the, you know, the quality of the competition, it's not a million miles away from Super League, is it? No, the spectacle as a whole. People ask me all the time what... You know, what's the difference to back home and, and the same equivalent, I suppose, competition level to, to Australia, to UK. And I'd say the biggest difference for me is not, not the quality. The quality is equally as good in terms of you know, rugby league players and how the game's played. It's more the spectacle of it. And you get four or 5,000, you, you go to some, um, Summer Bash over there and that was something that I'd never been a part of. Mm. Seeing the, the crowds out there and you just don't get that, that in Australia in terms of mm. at, this, at this championship level. Um, or the equivalent of the, the four or five thousand people turning up here to Fev and, and and chanting all game. It's just it's something something pretty special to be a part of. We're at the LD Nutrition Stadium today. I mean, as an as a away team, this place is awful to come, isn't it? It's so hostile. The, the fans are right on on top of you. It, I don't think hostile. Hostile's the right word. There's some good quality banter from both bits. And as an as a player playing away or a coach, you I love to see. The older grounds as well, they've got character to them. Um, and that's what you like to see with the game. Mine talked about the rough edges with the championship. For me, that's what makes it so so attractive. Super League is a, is a, different, is a, a bigger level up, but it's a very sterile competition as well, in the sense that it's all very repetitive, all yeah. coached very similar. And yeah. All like, whereas the championship's got a rawness about it. It's got players who have dropped down from Super League over, you've got players coming up, you've got a journeyman there, you've got officials who are even, you know, people moan about the consistency of officials in Super League, they want to come down and watch Championship for a week or two. <laughs> yeah. And it adds an all various variables to it that makes it interesting. And, yeah. you know, occasionally it gets a little bit rougher than what it does up top because there's not as many cameras going, so the props let their handbags go a little bit more often <laughs> than they do a level. It's got a rawness to it that I find really attractive. And the thing is that, um, I mean, we're at Featherston today. I, I, you know, I've been coming to Featherston for many, many years. And what's remarkable about it is the stadium here now is is a tip-top stadium for, for, for this level of competition. And Batley, you know, again, I've been going to Batley since I was a kid. And, you know, the stadium now, Kevin Nicholas, your chairman, I think has done a wonderful job in in producing somewhere that's that's iconic, that's, that's that goes back to, you know, the 19th century. But it looks great when you go there. It's got some real character to it. You've got yeah. to, you know... Both Mark Campbell and Kevin Nicholas, they've, they've invested in it and they've got quality stadiums to it. They're, Absolutely. They've got some character. They're not the biggest, they don't hold the most, but they've got character and it creates a great atmosphere. And off the field, I know Feverson's done the same over the last few years, but we've, you know, we've invested in this gym and some infrastructure. 
So when we when I leave, there's a legacy there for other coaches to take Matt, advantage of. I'm going to have to stop you there because we need to have a quick break. Coming up after the break, we've got the final part of this week's show. Stay right here. Welcome back to the final part of this week's Rugby League Bat Chat. Gents, before the break, we were just touching on the off-field stuff at, at Championship level. Ryan, from Featherstone's perspective on the field, things are going very well at the minute. I think you're the stars of the show at Summer Bash. You must be fairly pleased with how things are going. Yeah, I'm really enjoying coaching, coaching this squad. They're a really, really good bunch of blokes. and We're sort of like talking to Matt earlier. We're both only just starting to get some consistency in our teams now. and That's probably the hardest part about Championship level is players coming and going through injuries and, and different things but um, for, for our group personally it's it's just been that consistency in squad and mm -hmm. they've done a great job in buying in and um, they're all putting the team before himself and starting to get some results on the back of that. How, how important is the um, dual registration agreement with Leeds Ryan for you know for your success here do you you obviously use it a lot and, and use a lot of Leeds based players um, is that really vital for your success? Yeah, this year, for me coming over, I only got here in January, so the squad had sort of been put together. We only had a really small squad when I, when I got here, so I, didn't have, I wasn't blessed with a really deep squad, so we're sort of uh, making, making the relationship work for, for both parties because it can be mutually beneficial if it's done right. Um, but the hardest part is, is getting that continuity and it is hard for those boys, you know, training first half of the week with a different team and then coming in late and it's hard for the, the guys here. But, um, yeah, the reason we probably utilise it as much as we do is we, we do have a good relationship there and the players who do come back, they're great. Just they're asked, just, sorry, just on this, it's been in League Express for a couple of weeks about reserve grade coming back um, and it looks like it's going to be fully fledged. Leeds will be involved in that. Is that going to affect your dual reg partnership with them? Have you had those conversations with the nah, Rangers? look, we haven't had those conversations. It's I think there's been some weeks where we've had one, two, two come back and there's been other weeks where through injury or whatever, we've had four or five. So um, I think if you can, and, and this will back me up on this, the longer you, if you can put together a really deep squad, you probably don't have to lean on it as much. Mm -hmm. and, and something that uh, for me, you'd obviously like to have a nice big deep squad that you can just use your own players more so often than not. But I can't fault any of the Leeds players that have come back and played for me. They've been great. They've been really good. They've brought straight into the team. The boys love playing with them. But in terms of the reserves, I think dropping the academy age from 19 or 8, 20 to 18, mm -hmm. um, you might see kids who aren't quite in academy anymore and probably not quite at championship level find themselves in that reserves fixture. And, mm -hmm. and guys that probably can't make get picked up on dual reg. You know, sometimes you knock players back, yeah. unfortunately, because you've got your own that are yeah. doing a good job for you. So I think it'll, it'll probably be a, a blend of guys that are probably too old for academy and not quite yeah. at championship. Um, as well as guys that probably don't fit into the dual reg um, yeah. a partnership. Matt, you worked at youth level as a, as a coach for quite a while. What's your take on the, the changes that they're proposing now? It's much needed. Um, it's been talked about for how long now. The, the worst decision we made, I think, when I look, early 2000s reserve gear, reserve gear went, out, went out of the window. Um, even at amateur level, you know, your local representatives, so your local schools rugby, um, County rugby, all levels got taken out of the game, and and for me we've been worse for it. We've been yeah. a lot worse for it. You know, you look at the kids coming through now. There's some great quality there, but not in the numbers that there once were. Mm -hmm. So for me, the reserve grade is a massive step forward. I think we need to look at the structure down to amateur levels as well. You know, the, the scholarship system is a poor system in my eyes, and one that's had a massive effect on the amateur game. Whereas before it used to be a big 
you know, for me to represent Jerusalem in Batley Schools at 13 year old was massive. Mm -hmm. You know, not just from your amateur club, but to go represent your town and your area was massive. And then, fortunately, you got picked up for Yorkshire. It was an even bigger achievement. Mm -hmm. So the kids that kick on to professional is fantastic, but kids who are in the amateur game will actually keep the game going when we're not there. For them to play and represent is massive highlight in their in their lives and careers. And mm -hmm. once we took that away, I think we lost some some edge to the real quality we've done over the years. Absolutely, I agree. That. What, what's your take on all of this, Martin? Are we neglecting the game further down the, the tree than... Well, I mean, we've, we've been talking about Super League and the Championship, but the really important part of Rugby League is the grassroots, actually, when you think about it, because without, without a, a strong grassroots, the rest of the game is, you know, is, is going to be ineffective or it won't even exist. So, you know, I think Matt's absolutely right. You've got to, you've got to look, you know, right at what happens with, with when young kids start playing the game at six, seven, eight, and, you know, what's the pathway for them to ultimately become the captain of Leeds or the captain of St. Helens or, mm -hmm. or whatever. You know, how are we going to keep them interested? Because that's the real challenge these days, isn't it? Just to keep kids interested. It, the, the kids have got so many alternatives that they can get involved with now. You know, the, 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 uh, you know we've got what's called globalisation where, you know, you've got access to virtually everything just on, on, on a telephone to see what's happening in the world. You know, to keep kids interested in playing rugby league is is absolutely vital for me. And um, you know, we we need junior clubs all over the place that are, you know, well resourced and that 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 can give kids the chance to, you know, get out on the field and enjoy themselves. How do we fare compared to the Australian pathways in that regard, Ryan? Ah, uh, well, I can't comment too much on it over here. I'm sort of just yeah, getting yeah. my head around it each each week, but. I know the NRL have put a lot back into the grassroots level and the, the foundation and where it's coming from, and, and it's a big, it's a big, it's a big commitment that they've made over there to try and get more kids involved in the sport. And I know I, personally, I can speak for our club here with our foundation. They do a great job, and um, some of our boys and we were out there uh, at Ackworth last night with with a few kids and mm -hmm. kicking the ball around at different age groups, and they do a really good job of getting out of schools and promoting not only our brand but the sport in general. And um, I think. Um, that's right. You, you need to you need to have those players coming through to then when to take over from when the, the current crop's not here anymore. You don't want it to hit a point where where the game just goes stagnant and and, and isn't left in a better place than where we, we took over from it. The um, at Batley, you've obviously tried and do things in the local community too. What about reserve grade? Is that something that you're looking to do, or is that a, it's a something we've talked about? And as a club, we're really passionate about. We would have put a team in if there was a the problem we've got is that at the moment it's an optional so to put a team in it's going to take a financial commitment from a club where you know the budget I've got to spend on a year is, is minute on mm -hmm. players so to take a big chunk of that out to run a reserve grade isn't vi viable at the moment when it's an optional league yeah. but if there was a league where we knew we had 22 23 fixtures a year for lads to challenge ourselves we'd be one of the first ones we'd be at the front of the queue to join it so you're you know, a big advocate of this coming in next year because it's going to be compulsory for Super League and Category One academies, isn't it? But yeah. then optional for the for the guys. It'll be optional. It'll be something that we'll definitely look to get involved with. I know both Paul Harrison and Kevin Nicholas at the club are, are big supporters of it as well. We've talked, we've had numerous conversations the last two or three years about how we could potentially make it work. Yep. But at the moment, with it being an optional league and five or six teams in it, it's not viable. Fair enough, Martin. Just on the uh, just to wrap up this this reserve grid debate. A lot of clubs have expressed some concerns about finances and what it, you know, the the cost it's going to be. But surely, if it's done right, it actually becomes cost effective, does it not? 
Well, I would have thought so. And, and sometimes you've got to recognise the fact that if you're going to do something properly, it is going to cost you something. And mm. you, you can't get away from that. But you've got to decide whether, whether you know, if, if you view something as an investment, um, it's a bit like a, a major company investing in training its staff, isn't it? I mean, you know, a reserve grade team is, is, a, is a form of tr training and, and developing players so that ultimately they'll move into first grade. Mm. So, you know, you, you can't ignore that, I don't think. And, and you've, you've got to recognise what, you know, what it's all about. And, and you've, you've got to, if, if, if it means, you know, maybe spending 50 grand less on, you know, your first grade side in order to run a reserve grade side in the short term, you've got to do that. But with, with, with the recognition that in the longer term, it's going to pay dividends, mm -hmm. like all investment in any company is. I think that's half the problem with the game in that, that comment alone. You know, the clubs are very insular in the thinking. They're all about the back short term. Short short term, term. Where, you know, the amount of times they've probably gone and argued for an extra 50 grand on the marquee budget or an extra 50 grand on salary cap for X, Y, Z. Without problem, you know. But as soon as um, a little bit of money is needed to actually improve and create a, last, mm. a lasting legacy for the game, everybody's arguing about it and, and, yes, and kind exactly. of portail. Yeah. How's your reserve grade going? Right. Yeah, really good. It's sort of the first year it's come back in here and um, Paul March has done a really good job in building that squad up and we've had a few players come through on reserve grade contracts that have played first team for us this mm -hmm. year and we'll have more coming up over this next busy period with this 1895 Cup, um, you know, in midweek games and things like that. So um, we've been using it. We, we train team on team a lot, which has been great for us as a first team to have a, a, another team to run against. Um, obviously, we don't have a massive squad, like I said, so... Um, yeah, it's been run really well and um, I know the players are really enjoying it and mm -hmm. to get them some regular game time is something that they thrive for and, and we need to make sure that we keep putting back into them because um, if you want to if you want to have a leave a legacy like, like Matt said at a club you've got to you've got to have depth in numbers and, and, and in capability so I've um, got to put the time into them to make sure that they're ready to take the next step. Okay, just moving on. I want to talk about Gareth Ellis. Uh, he's come out in League Express and said he's He's given the biggest hint yet. He's going to carry on playing <laughs> next year. I think he'll be 39 by then. Matt, he's a player that you uh, probably played with, won't you? And uh, come across. H how big a freak is this guy that he's still able to do it at this level and on about going round again? I was fortunate to play with him at Leeds and played against him when he was at, at Wakefield. And he was, he's a very uncompromising. He plays a game very tough, very skillful as well. And he's always been very fit, very athletic, always looked after himself, done the right things away from the game. So... Don't get me wrong, any player, if they were still fit and able, myself included, you put your hand up to love to play. Mm -hmm. Sometimes your body doesn't let you do that. So if Gareth can play and he's fit and able, he still had some real quality as well. It's not, you know, maybe not the standards he was 10 years ago, but he's still adding quality. <laughs> I think one of the things about Gareth, if you look at Hull's results this year, all those games where they've conceded 50 or 60 points, he didn't play in a single yeah. one of them. Well, a little bit of what Ryan said there, sometimes when your back's against the wall, you need leaders in yeah, the group, yeah. and that's probably why he's looking to carry on and Radders wants him to do it, because he, yeah, yeah. he adds experience, he has leadership that they're probably lacking at the moment. I think he was named in the top 20 Super League forwards of all time, wasn't he, in, in Rugby League World? I don't current, think anyone would argue the with current that, either, would they? Yeah. And he's, you know, he's, he's very near the top, in my opinion. I think, yeah. I think to have, a, as a coach, to have a coach on the field for you yeah. is something that every coach would love to have, yeah. and that's why I guess Lee would be loving him, having him out there because he can act as another a voice for him during the game. Yeah, it's just tremendous, though, that it, not only that he's still going to the stage, but he's actually doing it after retiring. Because I would have thought once you retire, you put your feet up, you don't have to worry about your diet, your training, and so on. It's a 
commendment to him that he's actually still been able to to do that after I think it was eighteen months out. Yeah. Well, I don't think I'm a prime example of the route to go. You <laughs> can't put about four stone on in four I, months. I wasn't going to say anything. So. <laughs> yeah, but some people are just not, such incredible natural competitors, aren't they? And yeah. you know, maybe Gareth just needs a competitive. You know, that that sort of knowing that at the weekend is going to be competing yeah. again. You know, they, they, they love it. And I mean, nothing worse for a player to actually sit there knowing that you can. You know, if you're tired and you know you can still contribute. Yeah, yeah. You know, it'd be it'd be it'd eat away for him for the rest of his days probably. Yeah. So the fact yeah. he can still offer something and. It might not be, you know, the skill or the bit, but as a coach, if you've got, if sometimes the value on a player isn't what they do stats wise or this wise, mm. it's, it's the leadership and the guidance they can give. And sometimes you can select a player on that alone. I think the best example I can think of, actually, just to compare with Gareth, is probably Cameron Smith in Australia. Cooper Cronk, I'd say. And, well, Cooper Cronk as well, of yeah. course, who are, who are well into their mid 30s, probably beyond their mid 30s now. But Smith, I think, is still going to do another two years after this season, isn't he? He's not playing for Queensland this this year, although some people seem to think he might, you know, come back at some point. But you know, for Melbourne, he's he's just still outstanding. Yeah, and it's it's like uh, we talked about. It's the intangibles that he brings as well. He he's a bit of a Cooper Cronk and Cameron Smith are two very very rare characters in the fact that it's not only their ability, it's, it's the intangibles that they bring too because they're like coaches on the field. They, mm -hmm. they completely run their teams in respect for where they are and um, <coughs> the confidence that they just bring by their aura and, and who they are and what they've done uh, makes players around them better. And I think that's, that's, what, uh, that's what their coaches would love, love them to keep playing for because mm. they just bring so much, not, not only on the field but off the field, the professionalism and the way they go about their business and um, the leadership they provide and they set the standards. I've got to say, with Kronk, you know, when Trent Robinson selected him in the grand final last year, my immediate reaction was, he's, Trent Robinson's lost his marbles. Because how can a guy who's, you know, had that injury, the shoulder injury, compete in a grand final when he's, you know, he's not recovered from it? And yet they won it. It's just yeah. remarkable, wasn't it? Yeah, it was the ultimate competitor. Isn't yeah, it? yeah. And I suppose you can, a player of his calibre and, and his character, you can probably ask him as a coach. You don't have to yeah. always talk talk down to him, let yeah. him talk to you. Mm. Well, I think Trent, Trent would have been happy if he hadn't touched the ball or made a tackle. As long as he were on there, marshalling yeah. his players about, putting them, you know, Absolutely. basically putting the coach's message across and having the lads follow it out to a tee, and obviously it worked. Yeah, yeah. So, Matt, no chance of you coming back out of retirement now, then? Do you think? <laughs> <laughs> no comment. No comment. Uh, just, just to wrap... The show up, Martin. We've got a, a, a big week coming now at, at all levels. Well, what's your thinking at this stage at the bottom of Super League? Obviously, London are out right there. Are they going to stay there or are Leeds and Hull KR still in danger? Well, Hull KR, um, you know, it, they're, they're clearly in danger. And, you know, what's, what's happened this week with, with, with Tim Machines suggests that the club is, 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 is very anxious about what's going to happen. I, I know... I mean, Hulkington Rovers, we were talking a bit earlier about investing in stadiums and, and Neil Hudgel is, is, is talking about buying um, their stadium back from the local authority and developing it further, which is a great, a great thing to want to do. But obviously, from his point of view, they want to still be in Super League. So, you know, they really can't afford to go down. Um, London, I mean, you know Danny Ward really well, Matt, I'm fairly sure, from... from his time at Leeds with you, and you probably speak to him, you know, regularly. I think he's done a great job, but I struggle to see London getting out of trouble. Fair enough. Well, I'm afraid that's all we've got time for 
this week. A big thanks to my guests this week, Martin Sadler, Ryan Carr and Matt Diskin. Don't forget, you can get involved in the conversation too on Twitter at RLBackChat. We'll be back for another episode next week. Bye-bye for now. Rugby League Backchat is sponsored by TotalRL.com.